Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. All right, folks. Well, good evening. We'll go ahead and get uh, get started here. Um, we just wanted to jump right into these questions tonight rather than, than starting with anything else because there's so many good ones and, and we want to make sure that we give enough time to them. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've already kind of preemptively decided that, that given the quality and the content of these questions, we're going to extend this um, to, to next Sunday night as well because as I started looking at some of these questions, there's just no way for me to adequately answer um, a number of these questions in one setting. Uh, we're we're going to try to get through as much content as we can in the next hour, but um, that's, uh, th- that, that's a tall ask. So um, first off, let me just say thank you to youth um, for, for submitting these questions. I- I'm so impressed at how thoughtful you all are and, and how seriously you're taking God's word, your your seriousness is evident in these questions. Uh, I mean, are, are you seeing that on Wednesday nights, I, I guess, with them as well? I think so, yes, for sure. Um, you know, our, our youth are being influenced by by the world through school, friends, social media. And I think that's where some of these questions come in, uh, come in at, you know, because you've got so many different people, different opinions that, that they're getting hit with on all sides. So I think that's where these questions some of them are coming from yeah yeah absolutely so so thank you all again i'll just say i I know when i was growing up in church um i I had a lot of questions myself i think most people do um and you know i wasn't brave enough uh at that point in my life really to to ask the questions that need to be asked and so I, i just i had to struggle through waiting you know until i could get to a point where I could try to figure out the answer on my own or, or until I could find somebody that I was comfortable actually asking. So, so I just want to give you students all the commendation in the world for, for being willing to ask. And, and uh, I, I hope, I, I want to begin just by saying that I hope that you always see uh, Boone's Creek Baptist Church as a place where you're allowed to ask, where you're allowed to ask the tough questions. And, and you can expect to get answers to those questions. Um, those answers may not always be what we want to hear. Um, yeah. You know, especially as we go to God's Word, there, there's some, there are difficult things in God's Word that we've got to wrestle with. It's, it's not always... Uh, God didn't consult us when writing the Bible, right? And, and it's, it's probably a good thing that He didn't because I would have messed it all up. Hmm. But uh, we, we go together to God's <clears throat> Word to try to figure out these answers to these tough questions. And um, uh, to the adults in the room... I hope that you will be encouraged by these questions, uh, knowing that they've come from our students, knowing that our students want to know these things, and uh, I hope that you will encourage our students along the way. I hope that you will take time to uh, communicate with them and encourage them, and 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 maybe adults be brave enough to, to come alongside them and say, hey, have you got any more questions that maybe you'd like me to answer? I think the more we can build those relationships across the generations... The stronger our church will be, uh, the more likely our students will be to continue walking with Christ as they see the church as something that's here for them now, 
not something that they have to grow up into big church or something like that, but, yeah, but yeah. that they are, you all are a, a present and active and important part of our church body right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the more we can do things like this, the, that, that's what we want to communicate, that, that we're here for you to answer your questions mm-hmm. and to take your thoughts seriously on these issues. So, mm-hmm. um, With that said, let's, let's pray, <clears throat> ask the Lord to bless our time, and um, then I'll let you start. firing some off here sounds good so so let's pray god we thank you for your word we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together around your word to consider it um to ask of it the difficult questions as we read and as we study as we come across things that we don't fully understand lord help us to be brave enough to to ask what does this mean how can we understand this rightly and and then let us be willing to come together and, and talk back and forth about how we can come to a right understanding. Lord, I will confess my own limitations right now. Um, I'll confess that some of these things are things that I've wondered about. And, uh, and I acknowledge that my answers may fall short, but I hope that we all will see tonight that... that At the end of the day, we can go to your word, and your word does provide the answers. It requires some work of us. It requires some faith from us. But uh, we can find the answers to the questions we need to know and to the things we need to understand in your word. So help us to do that tonight as we turn to your word and and consider what it has to say about these many topics that these young people have asked us about. And help us all to be encouraged by uh, the fact that, that our young people want to know these deep truths from your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you again, Pastor Tim, for uh, being willing to answer these questions. And thank you, students, for asking them. Um, I've encouraged them that some of these questions are really good to the point of um, put your name on it just so you can get credit. Because these are I mean, questions that I think we've all probably thought of or asked sometime in our walk in faith. But either way, we'll get warmed up with a simple, easy one. Shouldn't be, should be a problem, but... Explain divination, evil spirits, demons, angels, etc. Yeah, uh, getting warmed up with an easy one. No, See, I, I appreciate that. Your, no your definition of easy and my definition of easy are, are different. But, um, no, this is, this is a great question. And, and, you know, when I remember, again, when I was growing up, that uh, there, there were certain things that were taboo out there you didn't talk about. There were things that that you didn't um, get involved with because of this type of thing. This all kind of has to do with the, the spiritual realm and, and uh, you know, powers of darkness and things like that. And, and so, you know, I remember uh, being warned about things like Ouija boards and, oh, yeah. you know, uh, th- things like that and, and, um, and the danger that those things possessed. And, and at the time, I'll admit, I kind of thought those... Those warnings and, and, and that emphasis on those things were kind of silly. Hmm. Um, as I've grown and matured in my faith, I, I see now why I was given those warnings because there is a real spiritual realm out there and, and there is real darkness. There is real demons. And uh, the, the, the best policy is for us just not to mess with them, hmm. right? Um, so let me try to break this down a little bit and, and take each, each one of these things. So divination is something that, 
that talks, the Bible talks about. Um, and it's basically an attempt to learn or discern the future through some sort of spiritual means. It's this idea that there is a spiritual realm that has access to knowledge of events that's going to happen or things that's going to take place or lottery numbers that's going to be drawn. And if I can somehow tap into that spiritual realm, I can figure these things out and that will give me an advantage. Um, and so I think it, at the heart of this, people want some guidance. They want guidance and they're willing to go wherever they can, wherever they can to get that guidance. And divination is, uh, is one of those things. Now, in the Bible, you see this pop up in a lot of different places. As a matter of fact, one of the, the places you see this idea of divination come up is with the story of Joseph and his brothers. And, and I don't know uh, whoever asked this question where you were reading or where you came across this, but uh, when Joseph's brothers came to Egypt, uh, he didn't want to reveal himself to them right away, so he had this kind of back and forth where he... He planted some of his items on their, in their packs, and then he had his men go track them down and say, aha, you stole this from me. And, and one of those things was his silver cup uh, that, he, that, that they said, don't you know my, my master uses this for divination? And that would have been, I think the reason he does that is because that would have been what was expected, right? A, a great and powerful, wise leader in the land of Egypt um, is somebody that would have had these tools around and available to them to try to figure out you know, the, the best course of action for them to take. And it's clear that Joseph had some sort of connection with the spiritual realm because he was able to predict the, the years of, of famine, followed, you know, following the years of plenty. And, and so this, this idea of him having some sort of tool that he used to divine things wouldn't have been uncommon. Now, of course, we know that God revealed those things to him. He wasn't, you know, mixing potions and looking in a cup to figure those things out or, or whatever. But, but, but this is uh, practiced throughout the Bible. But for those that believe in God, it's actually something that's forbidden. So Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering... Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. So God kind of puts on the same level burning your child as a sacrifice to a false god and divination. Right? So if you want to know what God kind of thinks about this, these things, those two things are on the same level here in this verse. Mentioned in the same, same breath. So there's a reason for this. This is attempting any sort of divination, whether you're... You know, using people might say today using tarot cards, um, seeing a palm reader, having your fortune told. You all don't remember uh, Miss Cleo who would come on TV and you know you could call a number and talk to Miss Cleo and she'd tell you your 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 future or whatever. And then Miss Cleo got investigated by the FBI for tax evasion or something like that. She could, should have saw that coming. But um, <laughs> thank you, th- thank you. Um, but. You know, these things all ultimately come down to the fact that that people are meddling in the spiritual realm with things that they shouldn't be meddling with because there is truly a spiritual realm. And because people kind of play with things that they don't understand, there can be unintended consequences. So this actually happened. We we see a story like this in the Bible when King Saul uh, 
was getting ready to go to battle, and he was kind of worried about how the battle might turn out. So he actually went to go see a witch. And he wanted this, this woman to tell him basically good news that he would be successful in the battle. And that didn't go very well for Saul. Um, I don't know if you all remember what happened, but uh, when Saul goes and consults this witch, he actually, she, she actually um, sees a vision of Samuel who had died. And he comes and he speaks to Saul. And, and what's funny about this story is that the witch is surprised, right? Like she didn't actually expect to be able to talk to someone who was dead. And, and that kind of reveals to us what's going on behind this. A lot of people are playing games. They're con artists. They're trying to deceive people. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to get you to pay them money. And they're going to tell you something that you want to hear. And that's probably what this witch was doing. Uh, but when she actually sees Samuel, she like really freaks out because she wasn't expecting that. And as a consequence of this, Samuel tells Saul he's going to die in the battle. Um, so that's how serious God takes this stuff. Um, and sometimes, too, I think when people dabble in things that we have no business getting into... We allow um, Satan or his demons to gain a foothold in our lives that, that's really scary and dangerous. Uh, the Bible is clear. Demons, evil spirits exist. Uh, it tells us uh, that demons uh, essentially were angels that followed Satan and his rebellion against God. There's about a third of the angels that followed Satan and was cast out of heaven, and now they, they do his bidding. Um, and they're essentially free to roam the earth for the time being. Um, Jesus calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. So, so he has the ability to intervene in situations here on earth. Um, and it tells us that he's stalking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Satan wants nothing more than to devour you. And he wants his demons to get a foothold in your lives. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 tells us, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Bible says, look, you're wrestling with these things. You are contending with these things. Uh, So there is a spiritual realm. There are demons that want to do you harm. But the good news is, if you're in Christ, you don't have to fear them. The Bible tells us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so uh, Christ's power is superior. The, this, isn't, this isn't like the Eastern idea of yin and yang, you know, two equal forces that's battling against each other. No, the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back, he will destroy all of them with the word of his mouth. All he has to do is speak a word and they're done. There's, there's no fight. Um, so we don't have to fear them. But we do need to be aware of this reality, and we don't need to put ourselves in harm's way by dabbling in divination or, or something like that um, that's going to kind of open the door to this dark and demonic realm. Uh, you know, I, I will just say one other thing, because you know, we look at the Bible and we see a lot of demonic activity. We see people that are demon-possessed. And you may wonder, well, why don't we see those things nowadays? You know, why, why don't we 
see people running around foaming at the mouth and, and things like that. And I would just say, I don't think there's any less demonic activity than there was in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, if you watch the news or read the newspaper, I think there's a lot of demonic activity that just doesn't get labeled that. But, but I think that uh, Satan and his demons are clever enough to know that right now there is a... Um, hesitancy about spiritual things in our culture and they aren't eager to kind of pull back the curtain and show people outwardly that there is that that what ephesians says is true that there is a spiritual realm they're happy to keep people blind to that reality and so in jesus day people knew that there's a spiritual realm so there's no reason to keep the the demonic activity hidden um i think now satan is much more subtle uh because it's not to his advantage to have people believing in demons. Satan doesn't want people to believe in demons because then he's free to operate without people saying, you know, I need, I need to seek the help of someone that is stronger than these demonic forces. So those things are absolutely real. We need to be aware of them, but we don't have to, I don't want you to go home tonight and like lay in your bed worrying if a demon's going to get you. Uh, If you're worried about that, trust Jesus. Right, like, and the Holy Spirit will live in you, and you don't have to worry about those things. So. Yeah, I believe. Um, uh, well, Ephesians six talks about the full armor of God, and I believe mm-hmm. that um, if we are equipped with the full armor of God, it can help us to ward off these evil spirits that that um, Paul's talking about here. Um, so it's kind of like they're tapping into God's will. Like, I, I want to know my will for my life. I'm too impatient to see what he has for my life, so I'm going to go uh, yeah. get my palm read. I'm sure that'll be exactly what God wants for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is, I think, a lack of trust, <clears throat> yeah. like you say, in God. Well, that was an easy one, so you've knocked that one out Thanks, of the park. Yeah. So another, another toss-up softball here. Uh, why does God allow sin? Yeah, easy. so we're we're gonna we're gonna have a talk later about easy, okay. you know, and gotcha. uh, and and what that is. But um, why does God allow sin? Uh, I, I told you all, y'all would be impressed by these these questions that these students are asking. Um, so so this is a good question. I'll I'll try to answer it in a way that I I think whoever asked it intended it. And if <clears throat> if I'm way off base here, please let me know, and, and I'll try to answer it better. Um. But I think what we're wanting to know is, is why doesn't God stop bad things from happening or, or sinful things from happening? Um, because certainly that's within the realm of possibility. Um, you know, God preventing someone from committing a, a great sin. Um, but I do want to make sure that we're not confusing that with thinking that God somehow condones or even blesses sin or, or, or gives people permission to sin. Uh, God doesn't give people permission to sin in any circumstance. He doesn't condone sin in any circumstance. Um, He's never pleased by our sin. And every sin that has ever been committed from the time that Adam and Eve grabbed that fruit till now and until Jesus returns, every single thought, word, or deed that is sinful, God is going to judge. And God will judge justly and fully. Now, the only options for where that judgment will be poured out is one of two places. Either God has already judged those sins 
through Jesus Christ on the cross, where he became sin for us and God punished him for our sins, so that all those that trust in him, uh, all, all our sins have now been paid for. Or, if you don't trust Christ, all those that don't trust Christ will pay for their own sins in hell forever. Um, so th- there's no sin. Whenever you say, why does God allow sin? Uh, God may temporarily withhold his wrath from sin. He's not, he's not somehow giving his blessing from sin, for, for sin because he doesn't stop it. One day he's going to judge it. So he doesn't allow it in the same way that I may see my children you know, doing something. I'm, I may see them uh, you know, getting the cookies out of the cabinet, and, and I may not stop them from doing that right in that moment because I may be waiting for later for after supper when they ask for the ice cream that the rest of us is having, I say, well, you know, it looks like you've already had your dessert. You know, my, my judgment is coming later. That doesn't mean that I'm okay with what they've done. There will be, there will be a time when I deal with that. And, and the same thing is true for us with God. So I just want to make sure that, that we're not confusing these two issues. But so, so going back to the question that I think we're asking why does why doesn't God stop sin, or why does God allow someone to carry through with some sinful thing? Um, we we might think from time to time that it would be better if God just stopped everyone from sinning before they sinned. Um, and it's true you may want God to stop the terrorists from flying a plane into a building. You know, maybe He could have just. Cause their alarms to not go off that morning or, or something, you know, to prevent them from, from doing this heinous act. And, and, and that's easy to say with the big sins, but, but what about when it comes to us? What about when we aren't loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? Do we want God to stop us from, from sinning in that way? When we don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, do we want God to stop us when we're committing those sins. Because Jesus says those are the first and greatest commandments. right? These, these are the big ones. And those are the commandments that we break every single day of our lives. I would wager. I know I did. Maybe, maybe you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength today. Were you, okay, I'll just, you know, I won't, I won't put you on the spot there. But, um, you know, I don't love my neighbor as I love myself right. every day. And so if God restrained me every time I was failing to live up to that, I would never do anything, right? Like I would just be frozen in a state of perpetual futility mm. where I could never act, could never move, could never speak because even the Bible says even our righteous deeds are filthy rags. So our motives are never 100% pure. Even the good things that you do, your motives are never 100% pure. Um, so... If God prevented every person from committing every sin, we, we all would have pretty frustrating and miserable lives. And I think ultimately the only way to prevent every sin, to stop all sin, would, would essentially be to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even, even if God, let's say that I was going out to do something wrong and God prevented me from doing that. Well, now I'm frustrated. Now I'm angry at God, mm-hmm. which is a sin. And how, how do I, where, where, where can God back me up to, to a point where, you know, I'm not sinning in that moment. He would eventually have to take my life because there wouldn't be a, 
a place in my mind that I could get to that would not be sinful. So remember that we are, nobody's perfect right now. We're being made more like Jesus every single day. That's a journey that won't be complete until Jesus comes back. Um, And so we're going to struggle with this tension where our motives aren't 100% pure, our words, our deeds aren't 100% 100 pure. Um, Like I said, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So if God was to prevent every sin, I don't think we would like that. I I think that would... I think that would um, lead to to nothing but futility. And instead, what God does is He shows us mercy. When we do sin, He invites us to come to Him and to ask for forgiveness, and He promises to give it. Um, and and that's so remarkable. Um, you know, one of these days, God will send Jesus, and He will return, and we'll never sin again. Because we will be with him and we will see God for who he is and our bodies will be glorified and our flesh will be glorified and those sinful inclinations and desires that bubble up within us even when we don't want them to, those things aren't going to be a reality for us anymore and that will be wonderful. But until that day comes, um, God is patient, God is merciful, God is giving people an opportunity to repent and respond to him. Um, we might think it would be best if God would just get rid of all the sinners. <laughs> but that would be bad news for us. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful that God is patient. <clears throat> and willing to give not just me but my neighbors, my family members an opportunity to respond to him uh, in, in faith. But nobody's going to get away with anything. Right. Um, it, it's either... Either Jesus paid for it or we're going to pay for it. And, and I'm thankful that Jesus paid for it. Yeah, I don't think we, we would be able to experience his grace if he took all the sin away. We can, we can not do those outwardly sins, you know, physically abuse or, or speak hateful things to people. But we still have a mind. We still have thoughts. Yeah. And if, um, if he got rid of sin, we would just be little robots walking around. Like, yeah. Like Shredder from Ninja Turtles. We'd be little <laughs> foot soldiers. So. It's another reference that they're probably not oh, going to get. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> my, my, Mike's going to straighten you out on, on your sorry. Ninja Turtle lore there, Chris. All right, well, um, so to piggyback that, uh, off that question, uh, one student wants to know, is it considered free will when God hardens your heart? Okay, yeah, so I, I think these, these questions are very much connected because you, you see, you know, God... Uh, not restraining people from sin. And in some cases, the Bible speaks about God hardening someone's heart. Mm. Um, and you've got throughout Scripture, you've got this, this tension with this specific phrase. This specific phrase pops up a lot in Scripture uh, when it talks about someone's heart being hardened or God hardening their heart or them hardening their heart. Um, so there's some passages uh, such as Psalm 95.8 which is quoted by the author of Hebrews later in the New Testament, that says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah. Uh, Proverbs 28.14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Uh, so those, those passages clearly talk about people hardening their hearts. On the other hand, uh, you have passages that seem to indicate that 
God is actually hardening a person's heart. Um, so I, I want to read to you very quickly from Isaiah because Isaiah was actually a, a minister who was given a task of hardening or, um, or, or closing off people's hearts toward God. So we quote Isaiah 6 a lot. I reference Isaiah 6 a lot as this grand vision of, that Isaiah has of God in the temple. And what happens immediately after that? Immediately after, God, or, or immediately after Isaiah sees God in the temple, in verse 8 it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And we, we often stop there and we're like, Yes, this is a good missionary verse. Like, Here I am, send me, go to the missions, uh, do these things. But if we keep on reading, we see what God actually sent Isaiah to do. It says, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So Isaiah said, all right, God, you want somebody to go and and be your missionary? Here I am. Send me. I'll go and do it. God says, "Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make the hearts dull. So they don't understand. I want you to go make their eyes heavy so they don't see. It's actually a a ministry of hardening that God sends Isaiah on. And then later in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 63, he says, Oh Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? So Isaiah recognizes God's hand in the people's hearts being hardened. So We've got this tension sometimes too in the same person. So if you've got Bibles with you, turn to Exodus 7. This is just a a fun little exercise of heart hardening here. Um, Exodus 7. The the most famous hard heart in the Bible probably belongs to Pharaoh. Um, And and you've got this fascinating uh, tension in these verses. So... So let's start just in in verse 3. It says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is God talking. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So God's telling Moses and Aaron, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But look over now at 8.15. It says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was no respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. But wait, as the Lord had said, he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Did you flip on down to 8.32? 8.32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So, okay, well, maybe it's Pharaoh that's hardening his heart. But look down in 9, uh, keep on going, 9 verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them. Um. You can go down in 9.34, it's Pharaoh again. In 10.1, it's God again. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. And, and, and it's funny because you look at 9.34 and 10.1, they're right back to back. 9.34 uh, says, um, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. And then 10.1, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. So is it Pharaoh or God that's hardening his heart? 
Next question. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I would say initially God has hardened his heart, and now um, Pharaoh is, is no longer able to seek God or to... Um, yeah, and, and, and I think you're, you're 100% right there. Um, I, I would say that Pharaoh is doing exactly what Pharaoh wants to do. But what Pharaoh wants to do is limited, right? Pharaoh is free to do whatever he wants. But he's only going to want to do what his nature compels him to do. Right? So, so let me give you an example. Um, I, I might want to climb to the top of the church. I don't, by the way, because that's high and I don't like heights. But um, I, I might want to climb to the roof of this church and jump off the front and fly. But can I do that? No, no. right? Because it, it's not within my nature to fly. I, I don't have a nature that allows me to fly. I wasn't born with wings and feathers. Um, you know, if I would, I guess I could have been a superhero or something, but, uh, but I wasn't. And so it's not within my nature. I don't have that capability. Uh, and so we are free to do that which is within our nature. Pharaoh's nature wasn't split 50-50 between good and evil. And every day was a battle where he woke up. He's like, ah, will I be good today? Will I be bad today? I don't know. No, he was, he was wicked, right? He, he was sinful. He was completely sinful. And so uh, he, he was only ever going to choose wickedness and only ever going to choose to harden his heart Against God, so when God says, "I will harden his heart," it's not as if God is introducing some new idea to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, "Oh, I, I really want to do good," and God's like, "No, you can't." You know, it, it, this is what Pharaoh wanted to do all along, and so it, it's really only strengthening his resolve to do what he wanted to do in the first place. Um, the, the Bible tells us. Though in the New Testament, it kind of settles this question about Pharaoh in Romans chapter 9. So we'll flip over there real quick. Romans chapter 9. In verse 17, Paul writes about Pharaoh. It says, um, For Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power to you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So, so God, yes, God hardens people's hearts, but it's never a violation of their free will because that's what their free will would always choose. 100 times out of 100. They would always choose to rebel against God. Um, and so God isn't somehow forcing Pharaoh into this decision as if Pharaoh would have wanted to do something else. Because of his sin nature, this was all he was essentially capable of doing. And the reality is, for all those outside of Christ, we will never choose righteousness, we will never choose faithfulness, we will never choose goodness unless God enables us, through the work of His Holy Spirit, um, because that's by nature, we, we shared the same nature with Pharaoh, right? And so just like 
I can't jump off the building and fly because that's not within my nature. Apart from God's Holy Spirit working in me to change my nature, to make me a new creation, um, my nature will continue to be disposed in rebellion toward God. I'm only, I'm only free to do that which I'm capable of doing. Right? I'm not free to dunk a basketball. You know, I, I don't have the, the physical tool, unless you lower the rim to like five feet. Um, and, and then, listen, I'll be dunking on you all, all day long. But um, I, I'm not free to do something that is contrary to my nature. Does that make sense? Pharaoh was, was acting in accordance with his nature as he was hardening his heart and as God was hardening his heart. But God wasn't somehow violating his free will because that's what Pharaoh was always going to do. So this is a tough question, and you know we've spent five or six minutes here trying to answer it. it, it in all likelihood, it's probably raised more questions than it's answered. Yeah. Uh, so if, if, again, if you all want to talk to me more about this, I'm happy to go through this because this is, this, is this is difficult, and just like we can point to verses that say that people harden their hearts and God hardens their hearts, all throughout Scripture, you've got this tension. And, and what you've got to do is figure out, this is true and this is true, and so how do I hold them together? Mm-hmm. And, um, and when we do that, I think we, we see that you know, the, the answer is ultimately, yes, God, God hardens people's hearts. Yes, people harden their hearts. But it's always, it's never, um, it's never as if people... We're really, really wanting to do good and seek righteousness and pursue God. And God said, nope, going to shut that down. Because we would never do that unless God first enabled us to, to seek him in the first place. But it is true and safe to say that the only way our hearts will be changed is through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's, yes. So we can't do that on our own efforts and our own works. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> So there's a lot of different questions concerning the heart um, or that really gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian and, and salvation and whether we're saved or not. So let's start by trying to establish how do you know that you are saved and what does it mean to be saved? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. How do you know that you're saved? It's a good one to follow up on the, on the hardness of heart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, has a lot to do with that. Yeah, and... You know, let, let, me, let me just be honest with you all here, too, because um, this is a question I struggled with for, for a long time. You know, even into adulthood, wondering, like, can, can I know that I'm saved, that I'm okay? You know, and, and typically what would happen is I would do something bad, right? Mm. And, and I would feel bad for that and I would think oh, I shouldn't be doing that if I'm if I'm a Christian right and so well, maybe I'm not a Christian and I spent a lot of sleepless nights wondering about this question how can I know that I'm saved um, but I, I don't I don't worry about that question anymore and um, ultimately that came from me not looking at myself so much, but me looking at God and his word. So uh, let, let me, let me kind of turn this around and, and I'm going to ask you a weird question, Chris, and, and maybe, uh, 
Maybe, maybe this will help make sense. Um, how do you know that you're married? Mm. Um. <laughs> yeah, Laura's sitting back here, so, so you better answer this one right. I'm really putting you on the spot here. So angels and love and just okay, yeah. loves. You know, just, I, every time I wake up, I, I get this tingly feeling because, because I'm married to, to, to Laura. Good, good answer. Yeah. I don't believe you, okay. but because um, she told me that I'm married, yeah, she tells me I am. Yeah. So uh, that, that was that was a really good answer, by the way, Laura. You should you should uh, you know give, give him a big hug after this. For, so at the end of the day, to to answer the second question that the students didn't ask, um, I, I know that I'm married for a number of of reasons, right? Because I made a promise before God and everyone to my wife, right? Because I can look down at my hand and there's a symbol of that marriage. This ring isn't the marriage itself. It's a symbol of that marriage. And so there's symbols, there's promises, there's vows, there's covenants. There's people that keep me accountable, right? I I have friends that if I ever, God forbid, started to act like I wasn't married... I know I've got people that would drive to my house and grab me by my shirt and shake me mm. until I, I started acting right. So I, I know that I'm married um, for a lot of different reasons that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with feelings. Mm. Now, those feelings are there. I, I love my wife dearly. Uh, honey, if you're watching on YouTube, I, I love <laughs> I love my wife dearly. Um, you know, she, she still gives me those butterflies, and, and I appreciate that. But, but that's not, you know, that's not an everyday experience. Um, it, it's not, you know, uh, 365 days a year. Um, sometimes we have colds, right? And we wake up and we, we look over at the other person. There's like snot hanging down and, and all kinds of stuff. And it, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's usually me that Lauren's looking at. And, but, but we... When, whenever the feelings aren't present like they were on the wedding day, when I first saw her walking down the aisle toward me, I still know that I'm married, right? right? Because, of, because of the vows that we made. So all that coming back to this question, how do we know that you're saved? Well, we have the same thing. We have symbols. We have vows. We have uh, commitments that remind us of this, And I would say the main thing that God has given his people to know that you're a believer is baptism. Uh, I view baptism and a wedding band very similarly. Right? Baptism is not our salvation, just like the wedding band is not our marriage, but it's a symbol that reminds us who we're committed to. Right? And whenever baptism is properly administered by a church... I think it can serve this purpose. And I say properly administered because I, I think there's a lot of times, a lot of ways that it's not properly administered. Um, I, I think if a church, if a person comes forward and says, I want to be baptized, here, here's what I think should happen and what I think the, 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 a responsible church will do. I think the church should, should examine that person. We should make sure, does this person know the gospel? Um, if they are professing that they have believed in Jesus Christ, what does that mean to them? Do they know and understand the gospel? Uh, are they able to affirm it? Do they believe it? And if they do, and if we observe that 
there's part of that, that new person is working itself out in their lives, in their relationships, then as a church, we come together and we can affirm they believe the right thing, they profess faith in Jesus, we see the fruits of the Spirit evident in their lives. And so we as a church are going to affirm them through baptism that we think they're a believer in Jesus Christ. The problem is, there's a lot of people walking around who've been baptized, but probably weren't believers because the church wasn't careful when it first baptized them. And I'm not talking about Boone's Creek Baptist Church. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm assuming that Boone's Creek Baptist Church has done a good job of this over the years. Um, but but I've met people that's got nothing to do with the church right now in their life. They're they're far from the church. I've met people on our gospel to every home when we've gone and knocked on doors and. And I'll ask them if they were a Christian. They'll say, well, I was baptized when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Haven't been back to church in 30 years, but, you know, th- there I was. Um, and so I think with baptism, if the church is properly administering it, you also need to have on the other side of that church discipline, mm-hmm. which is when the church will come along somebody that hasn't been there in 30 years and say, you need, you need to come be a part of the body of Christ. You're actually in sin by withdrawing yourself from the fellowship of believers, by neglecting the assembly of the believers. And if you refuse to come back and be a part of this body or a part of another body, we'll we'll give you freedom to go and join another body by all means. But go and worship your God that loves you and that you claim saved you. And if you're unwilling to do that, then, then we need to put you under discipline. Because we don't have good reason to believe that you're actually a true believer in Jesus Christ. So those are the symbols, I think. Jesus tells Peter, whenever Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter says, upon this rock I will build my church, I'll give the keys to the kingdom to bind and loose on earth. Um, I think as the church, if we're doing those things well, then those, those serve as the symbols of our union with Christ and salvation. Have you been baptized? Yes. Are you under church discipline? No. Then you can have confidence that you're a believer in Christ if the church is doing those things well. Mm. And so I think we need to to give attention to doing those things well as a church because when we don't do those things well and when people don't see the importance in those things, what we're left with is ultimately our feelings. Mm. And that's where we get in trouble because we say, well, I, I feel like a Christian today. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. I think I'm going to heaven when I die. Or I did something really bad and I don't feel like a Christian and so I don't know. And we, always, we, we, we start this kind of roller coaster where we're going back and forth wondering if we're truly believers or not. But if, if you came into my office um, and you said, you know, Listen, I'm going back and forth. Some days I really feel like I love my wife, and some days I don't. I know you're not going to do this because you get all the butterflies and all that. But, but, but if any husband came in and he said, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm married anymore because one day I, I feel like I, I love my wife and another day I, I don't. I'm going to say, are you crazy? Like you stood before God and your families and you made the vows. You made the commitments. Uh, you're wearing your ring. Go and be a faithful husband to your wife. And don't pay as much attention to your feelings. Pay more attention to the promises. Mm-hmm. And the promises of God's word 
are simple. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, so if you've done that, and you've made that profession public, and you've been baptized, and you're walking faithfully with the Lord, and the church hasn't put you under discipline, then you have good reason to, to feel confident in your salvation, to, to know that you are saved. That's why we need the church. We need the people in our lives to come around us and hold us accountable to make sure that we have that confidence. Um, I think of discipleship, what you've been, mm. what you've been speaking of. Um, I think without discipleship, you know, we, a new believer comes, uh, confess Jesus is Lord, get baptized, and we don't ever talk to them again. Mm. At that point, we're pretty much sending them out, you know, to, to the wolves, and it's where our discipleship really needs to come into play to, to lead them on so they can understand that these feelings are just feelings and not, you know. Because not, not every day when I read the Bible do I get this overwhelming sensation of, of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes yeah. it's, it's a struggle to read through some of the Scripture. Um, but that doesn't mean that, oh, well, that's not real because I didn't feel anything. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, but you but you still should read the Bible, right? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, right. It's like even on. even when you don't yes. feel, when, when the feelings aren't there, yeah. you still persevere in faithfulness right. because you know what God's Word has said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know that, well, we sang this morning, He will hold me fast, right? Mm-hmm. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. We, we're trusting not in our feelings, not what we're able to do or accomplish on our own, but what God has done for us. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I go back to time and time again that gives me a great deal of confidence is the last thing that Jesus said was, it is finished, right? It is finished. And so I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning. And, and if I wake up tomorrow morning wondering about whether or not I'm truly forgiven I can remember not how I feel, but what Jesus said. It is finished. And if I, have, if I have put my trust in Jesus, then it is finished. And the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. All right, so we got time for one more? Yeah, yeah, sure, let's, okay. let's try it. Okay, so um, you said salvation is not based on our feelings or maybe even an experience that we might... Um, get it like a concert or a conference um one student wants to know if you believe in god and that he died for us but don't hear his voice are you saved yeah that's that's a good question um and so i i've I've actually thought about this question um quite a bit because again i'm trying to understand you know where 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 these questions are coming from what what students are, are wanting to know here um and so I would say, once again, you are absolutely saved. Just like I said a second ago, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing in there about hearing the voice of God, right? Um, I don't think believers today should try to hear the voice of God, hear an audible voice speaking to them. Um, I, I don't think that's how God operates. And, and there's been very few people in history that have actually heard the audible voice of God. And, and typically when they do, it's a terrifying thing. Hmm. So you go back to the Old Testament 
And when you read the Ten Commandments, you realize that the very first time we see the Ten Commandments in Scripture in Exodus chapter 20, God is actually verbally speaking the Ten Commandments to the people. Uh, He has them gather around the mountain and he speaks the Ten Commandments to them. And at the end of Exodus 20, do you know what the people say whenever they heard God's voice from the mountain? They said, Moses, please ask God to stop or we're going to die. Like, you, you go and talk to God for us, but we don't want to hear the voice of God anymore because if we hear God's voice, we will die. And the people recognized what a fearful and terrible thing it is to come into the presence of God and to hear his voice because God is not like us. It's not that God is mean or cruel. It's that God is powerful and holy and we are not. Mm. Um, Now, it is true. I will will say this. Jesus says when he's talking to his disciples that his sheep hear his voice, right? and so we need to understand, okay, so, so what does Jesus mean when he says that, that my sheep hear my voice? You know, does that mean that uh, whenever I get saved, I have to listen to Jesus? Damn. Damn. Like, Jesus, is that? No, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. As a matter of fact, I think the Bible actually explains what Jesus is talking about. Um, in Romans 10, Romans 10, verse 17 we're just in Romans 9 a second ago, so that's convenient. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so, ultimately, Paul writing to the church in Rome here says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he goes on, he says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So, what Paul is actually talking about is not... When, when, he, when he says hearing from the, the word of Christ, he's not talking about audibly hearing Christ's voice. He's talking about scripture and the word of God going out into all the earth. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't strive to hear the audible voice of God as believers I actually think that's wrong for us to do because it's assuming that God may have something more to say to us than what's in his word. And he doesn't like there's no new revelation from God coming. It's once scripture was closed uh, with with John writing on the Isle of Patmos, it, it was closed like there's no more additional revelation from God. So if someone comes to me and they say, I heard the voice of God say to me. I'm going to be very suspicious of that because I'm going to want to know what God has to say to you that he didn't record in his word for the rest of us. Um, I heard uh, one pastor say one time that if you, if you want to know what God has to say to you, read the Bible. If you want to hear God's voice out loud, read the Bible out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, But... I think we actually have in Scripture an affirmation of this idea that, that, that we don't need to hear the voice of God because one of the people who actually heard the voice of God wrote down what that experience was like for us. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter, who actually audibly heard not just the voice of Jesus, but the voice of God from heaven 
on multiple occasions at Jesus' baptism and then at the Mount of Transfiguration, here's what Peter says. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so so Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' face shone with the glory of God and they saw Moses and Elijah talking with Him and and they heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son. Peter saw all that. One, One of the most glorious scenes in all of Scripture. But look at what Peter says next. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So someone who saw the face of Jesus glowing with the glory of God and heard the voice of God from heaven says, we have something better. And it's God's word. Hmm. It's the prophetic word that no man wrote by their own wits or cunning. He says it's better than hearing the voice of God. So are, are you a believer if you don't hear the voice of God? If you don't audibly hear God talking to you? Yes. That, that's not a stipulation in Scripture. Believe that you, uh, Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. Hmm. Period. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't think that you need to, to hear the voice of God. All right, yeah. In the, um, in the book, uh, Pray the Bible by mm-hmm. Donald Whitney, he talks about praying is a form of communication with God. And he says, you know, uh, in this particular uh, part of this book, he's talking about in the, the Psalms. So read verse 1 out loud, that's God speaking. Then you take that time to pray uh, journal, whatever, what your thoughts were on verse 1. And then if you want to hear what God has to say back to you, read verse 2. And I think, like you said, if you want to hear God, God's Word speak to you, then you know, read it out loud. Because this passage that you just quoted, is, um, it's, like, it's a good verse to, to, to know that the Bible is true and, inerrant and it's inspired by God. Yeah, so. absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.